You're listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration, a podcast dedicated to helping software executives stay on the cutting edge of sales and marketing in their industry. Let's get into the show. Welcome to B2B Revenue Acceleration. My name is Dan Seabrook, and I'm here today with Rob Hughes, uh, VP and Head of Marketing for EU at Automation Anywhere. Uh, Morning, Rob. How are you doing today? Morning, Dan. Um, Very well, thanks. Our first day of official lockdown. Everybody's starting to uh, face up to the challenges of this now. Um, I'm planning on growing a beard, and um, now's never been a it's never been a better time. So uh, yeah, we're we're trying our best, but uh, yeah, first day, and uh, everybody's everybody's still buoyant at the moment. So, absolutely, uh, yeah. absolutely. Well, I think we're all in the same boat together. I uh, I, I would say that I would try and grow a beard, but I think I'm going to need longer than three weeks. So uh, <laughs> so um, I don't think I'll go down that route. But um, hopefully we can, uh, with this podcast, provide some, you know, some some content and some some easy listening for people to uh, to be able to receive when they're not um, head down at work throughout the day. So the topic today, Rob, is is around marketing and marketers uh, never forget your why. But before we get into that conversation, could you please uh, introduce yourself to our audience and um, give us a feel for your company, um, Automation Anywhere? Sure. So um, I run marketing for Europe for Automation Anywhere. I joined the company from an analyst background. I was in the analyst community for 15 years and Automation Anywhere came around as as all vendors do for for all analyst houses. Um, Everybody pitches your business and uh, tries to gain some insight as to how to gain a competitive advantage and understand what the market's doing and where the opportunities might lie. And RPA came along as 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 a sector, really. And it was. It's one of those technologies that I couldn't find a, a business hole in as to why we wouldn't do it or why a company wouldn't uh, start to automate or be forced to automate. You know, the, the macro environment is driving us to be much more efficient. I mean, this recent uh, issue with uh, with uh, the virus and so on has just emphasised that even further. But you know, you have to have uh, some kind of straight through processing goals in place. Otherwise, we're not going to get to, we're not going to be able to deliver the services and the products that our customers and our partners and our ecosystem is used to delivering with the same amount of people. So as the, the world population begins to peak, uh, we're going to end up with a lot more old people and a, a lot fewer young people to do the work. And so we'll have more people to serve and less people to do the work. That's one of the, the macro drivers around it, as well as Companies like Amazon and new digital native organizations coming in and changing the way that businesses are run. So um, after 15 years of listening to lots of business pitches, I woke up one morning and said, RPA is, the, is going to be the future. And I've got to decide whether I talk about it or whether I get involved with it. And I got involved uh, directly with Automation Anywhere. So uh, uh, Automation Anywhere is one of the leaders in the marketplace. And at that time, it was still one of the leaders in the marketplace. It seems years ago, but it was only three and a half years ago that I joined. And I joined because of the the vision of Automation Anywhere and any new technology organization. The, I think the leadership of the the leading companies within those uh, those markets is it, critical to define who's going to be the thought leader in the space. And I joined Automation Anywhere because I believe in the vision that the company has, and I believe in their in, in the leadership, their experience of getting us to that vision. So. Uh, that's a little bit about me and a little bit about the company. Yeah. And I guess um, marketing in a high growth sector like RPA you know, brings a lot of different elements to it. There's a lot of different challenges. There's an element of maybe not creating a category, but kind of reinventing a category around automation and and, and, and that sort of message around intelligent automation. So from a marketing perspective, I'm, I'm sure you've 
got your hands full. Now, Rob, in a in a recent conversation, you've been telling us that um, that you are a strong advocate of the transactional approach to marketing, and actually, that's all about making your communications, your campaigns, your messaging, uh, ensuring it's aligned to, to your company's overall mission and values. Now, um, can you elaborate on that further for our audience and and tell us wh- tell us why that, and also give us a feel for why. Uh, marketers need to really keep their kind, kind of corporate and, and individual why at the at the forefront of their mind when marketing. Sure. And I think, um, you know, the transactional bit that, that, that you mentioned there is important as it's uh, the transactional components that we build out in marketing. And by transactional, I mean, we do an event, we run a webinar, we uh, run some content syndication, we do some placed ads. The, these are all levers and they're all transactional components to get us to where we need to get to. But I see, I, I'm, I come from a, predominantly a sales background, quite high level sales, quite big deals, advisory type work rather than product. So you're almost having to invent your own pitch. You're, you know, in, in, in the uh, information space, uh, it's all about the stories that you tell. And that's why marketing sits so comfortably with me because uh, in that consultancy space, you kind of have to create your own marketing and your own ideas because you're selling intellectual property in, in, in reality and you're, you're selling a vision. You're not selling something hard or a product or a, a something that uh, you can touch and feel and, and use. Um, you're selling an idea, approach, advice, etc. That offered me, a, 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 I suppose, a different approach to, to the marketing component and saying, when I, I stepped up, a step back from what marketing is traditionally doing, which is supporting sales, and we've heard this terminology around marketing-led organizations and marketing-led companies and so on, and, um, but nobody, not nobody is the wrong way to put it, but very few companies seem to adopt that and run their marketing organization built on uh, inside data. They, ba- they base it on lots of transactional data. This event really worked for me. I ran a webinar around it and we ran a blog at the end of it and we ran a whole lot of transactional meeting maker type uh, functions. For us, that's, uh, those, those um, transactional components add up into a program and the program is focused around certain things. It might be focusing on your target account list, it might be displacement, it might be a number of different things. But that program will run for, most people will call that a campaign. Our campaigns actually run annually. So the annual idea is that when, and, uh, we work in verticals, so we look at uh, vertical markets. We understand those markets. We understand our target account list within those markets. We understand how we need to get to them. And we spend around six months every year just gathering data to make sure that we understand we're aiming our sales team at the, at, at, at the right functions, at the right opportunities, and at people who want to engage with us. The idea of the why and, and you know why this is important and uh, having an overarching umbrella around this allows us to take every of the transactional components and put them into uh, the programs that are required and then uh, run those programs in line with the specific campaigns. But it allows us to l- align very closely with sales. And we don't, marketing doesn't hand over to sales. And I think that's the same in most organizations, actually, in that you know, if you think about how marketing influences a specific person, let's say it's a buyer or an influencer or it's just a user or a developer or whatever, from the moment they are exposed to your brand, from that very first touch point, they could pick up a newspaper and read about you. They could uh, download a white paper. They could go onto the website, whatever it might be. The moment they touch your brand until really that moment that person disappears out of your ecosystem, 
It's marketing's responsibility to influence the messaging, make sure that they have the information that they need, make sure that our sales organization is aligned to be able to give them what they need when they need it. And if we tie it into the overall campaign, we understand their world, world a lot better because we're listening to them. The programs are aligned for our business goals and the tactics are put together to be able, or the various tactical approaches are put together in line with the overall achievement of where we need to get to. So sorry for the, the, the confusing explanation, but hopefully that gives you an idea of why we look at the, the why. You have to figure out why we're doing this in the first place. Understand that we own the customer from beginning to end. And every single time we touch them, we have an opportunity to either influence them one way or another, either positively or negatively. And our job is to own that whole journey from beginning to end. And every transactional touch point that we have has to be part of a wider story so that they don't feel as if there's multiple messages coming from all over the place. And that also allows us to walk our sales team in and support our sales team through the whole lifetime of the, the customer experience, whether that be a once-off purchase or whether it be a, you know, a 20-year relationship. It's, it's our job to, uh, to help sales and, 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 and help customer support and services and everything else that the, the business touches with our customer. So when we're talking about the transactional pieces adding up to the why, that's kind of the approach that we take. Okay, that's really interesting uh, take on sort of building relationships with with customers. Out of interest, does that approach remain the same both to new prospects and also existing customers, or would you would you, based on that sort of process you've just described there, take a different approach to marketing to your existing customer base versus uh, new prospects for for acquisition purposes? Yeah, I mean, new prospects is is, is always a different it's a different ecosystem. The problems, however, the problems that companies face are always the same. You know, a lot of us get hung up on how well we do on the Gartner Magic Quadrant or mm-hmm. how many awards we've received or how many times we're number one on whatever quadrant and uh, how many times we're mentioned. Then, then we tend to go to market and, and jump up and down and say, look, I won, I won, I won. <laughs> and uh, we mm-hmm. put all these posts out. I think. Uh, you know, quite often companies are way too focused on what they do and not enough focused on what the outcome of the markets that we're serving is. And we've got to relate our products and services to solve that problem, not walk in and say, look, we build robots. Isn't that cool? So uh, I think um, all organizations are struggling with this idea that product the product is going to sell it for you. And I see a lot of marketing where selling is happening in the marketing process. Now, it's really about supplying companies with the information they need in a professional manner that they trust your source and say, These are, this is a company that I want to come and talk to. Whether that's a prospect or a customer, with a customer, you should have a lot higher level of trust anyway. And um, the message should still be the same. It's about solving problems for the customer. It's not about the product. Now, the channels that we use and noise will be different depending on whether it's a prospect or a customer because you can't swamp your customers with too much marketing information. You have to have a very different type of approach. It may be ABM, uh, one-to-one, or depending on the company, it may be one-to-few. So we tend not to look at different uh, strategies or different messaging. The messaging should be the same. The messaging should be aligned about uh, customer outcome and success. It shouldn't be aligned about our product. And I think that that shouldn't differ between customer and and, uh, prospect. But we can tell the stories coming from customers. We, We use a lot of... Uh, user case studies and so on. And sometimes we have to anonymize them, but it's really about the art of the possible because in, in our market, as you said, it's a new market. We're kind of 
I don't like the idea of creating the market. I think it's the wrong way to put it. It scares me, if I'm honest. Really? Uh, but it's much more about adapting to the market and leading it from a thought leadership perspective is, is how we try to to see it. We're the surfer, not the wave. The wave is behind us, and we're, we're trying to stay on top of the wave to make sure that we can see what's coming. Yeah, and I think that's an interesting take on it regarding your market. I mean, I think the idea around automating things and automation in general has has uh, has been around for a long time but um rpa is kind of the next phase of that and i agree i'm not sure you're having to completely create a market i think the market is people believe the market's there it's kind of about reinventing it and, and bringing a new intelligent version of automation to, to to the forefront of people's mind now um you were talking earlier on in our conversation around your transition from a Yes, from a sales background into more of a, a consultancy kind of analyst uh, area and through to actually joining Automation Anywhere in the marketing team. And I think you spoke about the fact that you joined them because it was a case of do you keep talking about it or do you get involved in it? And I suppose the reason you got involved in it, you really believed in, in, in the technology and the impact that you're having on, on, on businesses and on people's lives. Now, um, that, that's an interesting take and an interesting journey. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. How, from your perspective, how important is it for people to join companies that they can personally relate to from a from a mission or vision perspective? Or do you think it's possible, actually, that sales and marketing professionals, perhaps they don't care, and it's just about they see a big opportunity to um, earn a lot of money, for example, for example? Or do you think it's really about doing something that you deeply care about? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And, I, and you know, it's weird. As you get older, different things matter to you. Um, when you're young, you know, the M series car is, is the biggest focus in your life as a young man, let's say. But as you get older, you know, it, 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 you start to realize that once you get stuff and, and, you know, this is what goes way beyond marketing and, and sales. This is how we live our life. You know, you realize that the more stuff doesn't make you happy. And it, it's the little things that, that, that you want to work towards. And, you know, I, I've been lucky enough to be pretty successful in, in a lot of companies and with fantastic people around me. The analyst community surrounded me with PhDs and, and brain boxes that I, I'll never, ever have that opportunity again with, the, you know, professors from London School of Economics with my colleagues, you know, so you're bouncing ideas and thought processes off them. And, and, and but over time, you, you generate a wider understanding of potential in life and what your potential might be. And I think as marketers, most a lot of people get into marketing because it's it's seen as creative. But now that I've I've been in the marketing space for a while, and I, I see the creative bit as actually a bit of a, a dying art, and I see everything based on analytics and pulling levers. You know, digital. Everybody talks about digital being king. If your story's not good enough, and you don't believe in it, you don't have the passion for. And you don't understand the impact that you're trying to have, and you can't relate your product to that. You really, really struggle to have any kind of real enthusiasm behind what you do, or how you run your teams, or how you do your job. Now, it sounds admirable, admirable to say, and very lofty actually to say, only take a job that you really love. You know, we see this all over the place. But I think through time, you know, you have to do your warts and all. You have to, you know, crack, get the calluses, and do the hard work. And learn through experience is, is in my experience, is, is, is been the best way to learn. Bang your head enough times and you stop doing stupid things. But um, And it's never the first time that you stop, trust me. <laughs> it's, you always give it another go. But I think, you know, for me, I looked at this uh, automation. You know, I looked at RPA at the market and you said, yeah, we're not creating the market. And 
the problem with us is we're, we're so successful um, in this marketplace. We grow, we double our business, and we've been doing it for over 10 years now, year on year. And uh, we do it not with ease. We work hard to get there. And when you get to a certain size, doubling becomes a real issue, a real challenge. But with the, the goal behind you, with the belief that we're making the right impact, then you can change the world. And for me, it was looking at automation anywhere, looking at the RPA market and saying, if I look at the macro world, I mean, I've already mentioned that we don't have enough people. We lose 28 million people out of the workforce in the next 40 years, uh, just in Europe. Now, that's going to be a, nearly 12% of our workforce is going to disappear. So we have to do more with less. Being a digital company, if you're not a digital company, I don't know what business you're in. Uh, every, everybody's digital and for maybe not in their operations, but in their go-to-market, everybody has digital offerings, whether it's websites or apps or whatever it might be. Everybody's got their foot in the water there. The, the challenge that companies have is we didn't, the majority of our operations is not digital. It's based on legacy. And RPA can step in and, and modernize all of that. But for me, it's much more about, I've seen so many people in my career, really brilliant people that are doing very mundane jobs. People with MBAs in, you know, in India running call centers and, or, or sitting on the, on, the, on the other side of the phone. And then we wonder why we have high attrition in, 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 these, in India specifically, because we have hugely talented people doing very mundane jobs that is outsourced to India. So my mess for less. That can't carry on. We've got to free up intellectual capacity of humans. We've got to change this. This virus has really exposed us. Our supply chains are exposed. Um, there's a there's a hard drug, for example, in, in, in the US. I think they said 790,000 people are on this drug, and it's only manufactured in China. Now, that's not pointing fingers at anybody. It's saying that there's a weakness in our supply chain. And if the supply chains get shut down, forget about the virus, the 790,000 people that are relying on that drug to keep them alive are now at risk. So the way that we do business is, have, is going to have to change. The, the, the whole market is, 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 or the whole world is, is, is pivoting at the moment to try and understand how do we stop this type of thing in the future? How do we build fail-safes in? And I think the only way to do that is to free people up to actually be people and think and contribute and just add value rather than just do things. So I think over time, for me, the, you know, the, uh, the, the golden light was the world has got to change. The economic models of the world are changing because of the way that digital companies work. People are trying to, companies are trying different things. They're trying things they've never done before. We've been poking at agile for a long time. Now we're all working from home. It matters more than ever how we think, how we operate. So I think that from a mission perspective, you have to believe that you're doing, in my, in, in my case, I'm looking at it and thinking this software can actually free people to actually have interesting lives rather than just do the same thing over and over and over again and repeat it and et cetera. We never release the potential of humans and we're going to have to as we move forward and we're faced with these massive ecological changes, these massive challenges that we've got with uh, this virus and you know we don't know if this is the the last we're going to see of these types of things so i think moving forward a company of people or smart people have to align themselves to good causes they have to have a societal impact if they're really going to make a change because you know and lastly everybody's on their soapbox so everybody's got to comment about your business you know how, how organizations behave is critiqued constantly and Companies can be made or, or broken, you know, um, if the right people or the right influencers are saying the wrong things about them, so or the right things about them. So, 
we're much more interwoven. I think you have to be socially responsible and we have to figure out how your product or service can tie into doing something positive rather than just making money. I know it sounds a bit lofty, but almost everything in every product in the world, besides the obvious ones, um, can can have some kind of positive impact on the the environments that we serve. And for me, understanding what that is and linking it, that that helps me decide where I want to work and where I want to throw my efforts for sure. Absolutely. And and to your point, some of those examples you're using around, uh, you know, today and, and the virus and how much that's bringing it to the to, to reality for a lot of people that haven't sort of thought about the impact of if we had something like this, how can we very quickly work from home? I mean, there's a lot of businesses that are benefiting very nicely from the from the current circumstances based on exactly that. You know, collaboration tools or communication tools or um, security providers that, that enable uh, remote working so so easily but actually i think to your point um it is lofty but i think situations like we've seen ourselves in recently absolutely will mean that the sort of general working pattern and process is going to have to change and um and, and to your point companies like yourselves are probably well placed to, to impact that if we look at automation anywhere as a company you're going through hyper growth as you spoke about there and as we see with a lot of businesses they can begin to lose their way a little bit as that happens and and can keep that consistency when scaling is is a challenge uh, have you seen that as a challenge at automation anywhere and and um from what what are some of the things that you guys are doing to ensure that alignment and consistency around your around your messaging around your why really how do you ensure that that's still there as you keep growing I think we're sticking to, we've got a a fairly extensive five-year plan in place that's now actually coming to the end of its, uh, uh, the end of its activation. But, you know, when you're building a company that's growing this quickly, and and just to put it in perspective, I was employee 273 and we're now 2,000, I think 2,600 employees the last time I checked. That's not including the the developers and the, the, the temp staff that work with us and support us, et cetera. So, and that's happened in three years, just over three years. So, and we're now in, well, I think we're in 92 countries. We're active with sales and we're, we're over 50 companies. We have offices now. And when I started, uh, we had no offices in Europe at all. <laughs> um, uh, we now have 350 people in Europe and we have offices in London, Paris, uh, Frankfurt, Munich, uh, Warsaw, Milan, which is closed. Well, everywhere is closed at the moment. Madrid, uh, Netherlands. And I think I've covered everything in Europe. I'm not 100%. I think, that, oh, Switzerland. We have an office in Switzerland as well in Geneva. So uh, we've grown pretty quickly. And, and, and you know, I think the, the, the challenge on, on scaling and consistency is always, you know, keep your true north. Decide what kind of company you want to be. And at different, everybody knows at different growth levels, you require different sets of skills to get you there. You know, as, you're moving, as you become more corporate, you need to hire a different CFO, for example. You need to hire a, a different team of people that, uh, around compliance. We're implementing huge systems from Workday uh, through to full implementation or full re-implementations of Salesforce, etc. Um, you need a whole team of skilled internal IT services uh, guys to be able to build that. But the way to um, keep everybody, I suppose, kind of on track is is having your true north and just reiterating that. So we have a set of values that we live by um, and we try and, uh, well, we run by OKRs as well. I don't know if if you're familiar with that, but uh, objectives and key results. 
And those are all broken down from our CEO right the way down to uh, me and my team and everybody else. We all have a set of OKRs, and those are really the the transactional stuff that we're trying to achieve. Um, and they all kind of total up to make sure that Mihir has what he needs when he walks into the board meeting and so on. So it's it's not easy. You have to have a plan B, if I'm honest, um, you know, because plan A very seldom works or it never works out the way you want it to. It's it's always plan A version 26 by the time you get to the end of the journey, um, if, you, if, you, if you're still with your plan A. We've been lucky in that the, the market's very, very active. So you know, we've tried things. We've got huge product development teams. We've got a huge amount of our revenue. Uh, I can't give the exact percentage, but a large percentage of our revenue goes back into R&D for product development. So where RPA is today is credible. It's, it's almost the AI of three years ago. Um, you know, the technology doesn't get dumber. It gets smarter. As the technology gets smarter, you need to stack up and extend your, your product offering into, you know, rather than just task automation. You need full process automation. You need to incorporate AI and analytics. We, we've just built a, a bot called uh, Discovery Bot that uh, actually runs across your systems and then builds the bot automatically for you. So you don't actually have to have any kind of uh, internal uh, development, just plug and play kind of, kind of stuff. So I, I think you've got to keep your true north in hyperscale. You've got to know where you're going, um, no matter which route you have to take to get there, because those change all the time. So and under communication is super important. It's, it's the most important thing, I think, in any business. Uh, clear communication as to where we need to go. And you need to spend a lot of time communicating to the team internally to make sure that everybody's um, focused and um, uh, 100% focused, I suppose, on where you need to get to. Otherwise, you're not going to get there. So um, communication, your true north. And those are probably the, the two most important points, I think, in any scaling organization is just keep, keep your direction and show your flexibility on, you know, how you're going to get there. And, and, you know, if you, in any hyperscale business, people tend to work a lot longer hours uh, just to yeah. be able to get there. You know, there's a lot of entrepreneurial type people that you employ, especially in the early days to get stuff up and running. And some of them are working 16 hour days, six days a week for two or three years at a time. And, you have to have a bigger purpose. You have to have a better true north than just, oh, we're going to IPO. You know, uh, very few people are motivated by that. Uh, so um, I think when you're younger, IPO is very attractive. But after a while, you realize the complexities around it yeah. and you veer away from it as much as you can. But yeah, I, 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 let me stop there. I think uh, true north, uh, that flexibility and, and, being, and having a, a decent purpose will help get there in, in hyperscale. Okay, that's a, that's a really interesting perspective on it. And I guess final point around that is um, you mentioned about having a true north, but in a in a scaling hyper growth company, do you ever see that there's a an opportunity or an instance where actually your your true north or your why around what you're doing can change? Is that something that you could see happening, or would that mean that you actually perhaps haven't found your true north in the first place? That's, you're absolutely right. And what I mean by true north, actually, is not a destination for the company. It's the type of company you want to build. Yeah. You know, if you build, if you build a company and you, you, if, if you build a team, you know, even a small team, and you build it with the right purpose in mind, um, it doesn't really matter the routes that you take to get where you need to get to. So um, the true north is about the type of organization that you want to become. Um, because then it doesn't matter if you're, if you're, if you're just going to IPO, for example, this virus has just put a, a, a block on everybody that's rushing to IPO in, in Silicon Valley at the moment, right? 
there's already casualties. Any company that's exposed to the travel uh, market is is in trouble, especially if they're if they're funded and they're a, they're a small um, startup organization. So we're already starting to see some of those get hit by what's going on. But the true north of the company is really about what type of organization do we want to build? What do we want to do? What do we want to become? And I think in today's environment, with uh, our first day of lockdown, lockdown in the UK, it really shines as to well. We can sit here and try and make money on uh, on this because automation is a huge opportunity when there's not enough people around to do the work and people are working from home. There's huge amounts of opportunity for us to go in and say, look, there's lots of different bots that you can build to be able to do this work. What we're trying to do at the moment as an example is we're working closely with the NHS and government, and I'm not going to say anything more at the moment, but we're trying to build as many bots free of charge, we're not charging for this, just to try and figure out how quickly we can move information around with regards to COVID, where the hotspots might lie, because data and big data coming in is going to be a big, big problem. As this starts to scale up, we've seen in Italy, you know, where are the free bids? Everything's done manually. We need some kind of system to be able to identify where we have capacity, where we have hotspots. There's so many different opportunities for information to fly around and get lost in this crisis. So I think companies, if you have a true north, companies will do the right thing in times of need rather than just carry on going in the direction they're going. Now, we have to carry on running business because we support over 4,000 enterprises and we have to figure out for them as well. We've, we've, for example, we've created an HR bot that tracks where your staff are. And we've told all of our customers, just download it. There's no cost to this thing. Just download it, find out where they are, make sure a few of my team, for example, are in isolation. The kids have got ill and uh, they've had to lock themselves in now. Uh, Our HR team needs to know how they are. Um, They report in every day and we use a bot to be able to track all of that. We're we're trying to push that type of technology out into the marketplace. And having your true north allows you that flexibility to do the right thing first rather than just chase the direction you were going in. If you're just, your true north is just the direction or just an IPO or just we want to be a billion, $2 billion, $20 billion company, how you get there will be much more complex. Whereas if the company's led with a vision of this is where we're going to go and along the way we're going to have lots of adventures, it's a very different type of place to work. And we can get 16 hours out of people with, with lots of enthusiasm because we all believe we're doing the right thing. Okay. Okay, cool. That's that's really interesting, and thanks for that insight. So, um, Rob, I think we're we're sort of nearing to, to the end of our conversation today. Um, really appreciate that you've taken the time to share your thoughts around marketing, your why, how you keep the messaging consistent, and and actually um, how you build a company with a true north mindset. I guess is 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 the key, rather than it, looking at it as a destination. Now, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that want to continue that conversation with you. So if that is indeed the case, how would you suggest that people get in touch with both yourself and, um, of course, your company, Automation Anywhere? Sure. So um, if, if you want to get in touch with me, I'm on LinkedIn. Rob Hughes, I'm at Automation Anywhere. I'm pretty easy to find. My profile is open. Alternatively, you know, you can go to our website. Um, it's automationanywhere.com. You can do a search on Google. It'll pop up. There's lots of videos and so on. So uh, Anyway, anybody wants to reach out and, and, and carry on with the conversation, more than happy to do so. And uh, once again, thanks very much for inviting me. I really enjoyed uh, talking with you, Dan, and uh, thank you very much. No problem. Thank you uh, once again, and uh, stay safe and uh, look forward to catching up again soon.
Operatics has redefined the meaning of revenue generation for technology companies worldwide. While the traditional concepts of building and managing inside sales teams in-house has existed for many years, companies are struggling with a lack of focus, agility, and scale required in today's fast and complex world of enterprise technology sales. See how Operatics can help your company accelerate pipeline at operatics.net. You've been listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.